Hello, my fellow BSers. Stefan Dragonspawn here, introducing episode 374, recorded on January 10th, 2022. And as usual, our Brett and Sean, our sexy BSer hosts. Take it away, Brett and Sean. The Year of the Tiger. Grrr, arg. Welcome to Gaming and BS Tabletop RPG Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. So welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Stefan, thank you. That was fun. That yeah. was cool. Thanks, Stefan. That's good stuff. That's very good stuff. I know a lot of people out there will say they've got the best, you know, environment, but I think we beat them. <laughs> yes, they're so cool. They're just such fun people. For sure, man. Oh, it's always so much fun. If you are interested in introducing an episode of the show, we're still doing that. Uh, just head over to gamingbs.com forward slash intro sign up. We'd love to have you do that. So, absolutely. Thanks. How you doing, Brad? It's been a little while. Yeah, unfortunately, we wanted to go to an every other week, and then I had a uh, family debacle. A few. I posted this up, and I know, Sean, I think you said something in the community. Basically, um, my father has some. I don't exactly well quite frankly we don't know what's wrong it's and it's not good and he's the caretaker for my mother who has dementia so we're trying to figure out how to make sure he's taken care of and my mother taken care of um figure out how to get nursing care there and so forth um it's been about a week now since i had him he and i had him in the hospital trying to find out what was wrong we think potentially it's an endocrine system failure i don't know but people have asked. That's the only reason I'm oversharing. But um, people, uh, BSers have been incredibly kind. I've had some very nice messages from people wishing me the best and being uh, very supportive. So thank you, everybody who's who's done that and anybody who's even just thought a nice thing about the situation. It's really, it's pretty touching, honestly, because <laughs> it sucks. Um, it's just, it's not a lot of fun right now. So unfortunately, I don't know what that's going to do to uh, BSercon for me. I've got two games I wanted to run on Friday and Saturday. I promise Sean that by Wednesday uh, evening, I will have have my situation for the weekend sorted out. That's the big um, doctor visit day with dad and um, my mom and, and so forth. So there's a lot going on there. I'm hoping answers and next steps will be forthcoming, but that could well completely fuck up my weekend plans because uh, somebody's got to make sure that they stay alive and are healthy and taken care of. And that's me. I'm the, I'm the one that's here. Yeah. I don't. I don't think so, anybody uh, will balk at that. So, no, I, I, no, I don't. I don't think that's <laughs> anybody does. Like, hey, what the hell, man? <laughs> they may not know you. That's possible, yeah, but that would be that would be possible. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, again, thanks, Sean, and you, you've been great through this too. Just like because I caught you at the last minute, like, dude, I can't do this. You're like, hey, man, that's fine. That's cool. No worries, man. It was. I know. I just. I like with the Delta Green thing. I hate failing. And it pisses me off when stuff happens like that that you can't control and stuff goes to shit, but it's got to get taken care of. So, man, it's been a while. Let's talk about something a little more fun. <laughs> I had, um, <laughs> I wrapped up my uh, Return of the Tomb of Horrors game. And, um, oh, hey, we, hey, 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 Brett, hey, Brett, yeah. did, you, did you kill anybody? Any, any oh, deaths? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How, how many? <laughs> how many? One, two? I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of weak. 
how many died at the end? Let's see. Three. Three? Yeah. How long did you run that now? Almost a year, I think. Yeah. It's been yeah. that long. It was, I, at least it feels like it. it. It was great, though. We had a lot of fun. It was a big, um, Lenny's character survived, and he was the only original character in the group. The only wow. person who started with one character and Jersey made it from section one all the way to the very end. Does Lenny contribute attribute that to player skill? Uh, he said um, he said he'd like to call it player skill, but he knows it's luck. <laughs> he was uh, he was one of the, one of the people who was who got very cautious when things got really really dangerous. He was very heroic and go do and go grab and like heroic being like just you know leap forward do the fighter thing go do take care of and you know headstrong and go take care of that and then when he saw a couple other people get wiped out he's like I think I'm gonna pull back a little bit just pull back a little bit so it was uh it was it, he didn't turtle up right but he uh he checked himself he checked his headlong rush a few times which paid off saved him totally paid off yeah. So you said this was a would be a hard campaign to top. I think it will be. It's going to be really, really tough. It was a lot of fun, a lot of really good stuff. So I don't know. I've got another Greyhawk campaign that will come up, not next, but after what I've planned. I have a um, World of Darkness um, modern horror game I'm going to run. Um, I'm calling the Horn King. And it should be pretty interesting. I found um, <clears throat> I'm going to get my images that I'm using for this thing. I, I found somebody posted this up. I cannot find the original Facebook post, but I found all the pictures. The pictures have the artist um, the logo on the bottom. So I can uh, hopefully that'll help me find whoever did it and provide the proper credit. But it's really cool. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun little horror. Something should drive some people insane. And we'll see who lives through that one. But that'll be a good palate cleanser. Alpha's kicking off pretty soon a uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th edition, the newest edition. He's going to, um, which I think is Catalyst, I think he's doing that one. I can't remember who's doing it. Anyway, we make characters. He wants to do that. And I thought, you know, a break from a bit. It's been fantasy games for a while. I'm like, hey, I got to hanker for something different. So I'm going to step over and do this modern uh, World of Darkness horror game. Should be fun. And again, I, the, that is one of the better games of D&D ever in a long time though that was a lot a lot of fun <clears throat> a lot of fun I think I, I may have mentioned this too some of the lessons I learned like from my group experience points are are welcome they don't want to you level up hey you level up you level up they don't want that they like to track the numbers spend the numbers they like that. So <laughs> how did, absolutely fucking. How did you incentivize them? How did you give them XP? Did you do milestone or did you? Would you? Do no, it? it was like by what what they accomplished. Monsters killed, things done. Gold. Um, I we talked about it and I said I'm not sure about gold and they said, yeah, let's not do gold. At the end of it, a few people said, yeah, maybe we should have done gold <laughs> because they're like I probably could have got farther faster. There, um, there was a debate on the Discord about. <clears throat> Those kind of details about XP milestone versus <clears throat> monsters versus gold, and there's you know, a um, there's an incentive there, right? Depending on what you dangle in front of the characters and how they act. One of Matt Colville's latest videos is on uh, rewards, and he talks about 
I saw did, that. Did you see it? I saw that and talked about it on a Saturday because I was talking specifically. A, it about, is wonderful. Yeah. It's a great video. If you have not seen it, check it out because he talks about the old school world. It's like why gold mattered, and it does. <clears throat> is it for everybody? No, but the idea, uh, the concepts behind it, the way he explains it, I think, are is wonderfully insightful, and it does drive when people couldn't make my AD and D Greyhawk game, they felt bad. Like, damn it. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm like, they've missed other games and whatever. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to get the XP because the, they all agreed that that was the rule. If you're not there, no XP for you. So if they couldn't make it or had to leave early or whatever. And they didn't get all the XP. Like, God damn, I missed it. And it really drove them to do stuff. Not just be, and I told them, look, it's not just about killing monsters. <clears throat> there was, if they uncovered plot points, those, that was worse stuff and so on and so forth. So there was plenty to do. But having those kind of that tangible reward at the end of every session, that was very little Pavlov's dog. All right. Let's let's let me add up my XP here. You could just see the drool. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. To comment on Colville's video specifically for people that haven't seen it. He has talked about wanting to run games in the old style. So, you know, you start out in a town and then you would, ha you know, you would explore or whatever. And he would be doing that in a fourth edition or 3.5 game or even fifth edition. So the incentive systems, what he, the game, type of game he was running was based on incentive systems done in the 80s, which is like gold and XP and monsters. And it was a different adventure type. And then you're not heroes in those systems. And then, not the same type of hero. Not the same type of right. hero. Right. Where it borderline superhero. Where well, right. like in fourth edition or fifth edition or even third, where you start off kicking some serious ass right out of the gate. Right. You know? And then running fifth edition or fourth edition to some degree, though some wires would get crossed. Yeah, gold doesn't matter. Right. Magic items, rare kind of don't matter. Right. Right in fourth edition, they really didn't matter. The other thing that he um, that he brings up in there around um, the first edition stuff and having now this is the other piece I found is that with experience points being on the table for my group, and this is again just you know sample size of my crew, there was a level <coughs> of investigation and curiosity that Colville talks about that I could definitely see happened versus when. Alpha ran or I ran a more standard 5e style game, modern, whatever. I'm just picking on 5e because it's the one out there. Right. We always had a lot of fun playing it, but I think if I will run 5e again, I like the ideas that Matt Colville had in there, like little um, his um, uh, benefits, the uh, the rewards type of option he had in there. Watch the video; you'll understand what I'm talking about. And the other thing is, I'm like, you know, adding XP back in would be important for me for my crew because I, I learned that through this first e process I'm like you know next time i run a 5e game with them i'm gonna have experience points because it drove a desire to go and do and be a part of and really make sure they're at the game and just stay fucking engaged you know there was nobody wanted to not check out all the stuff in the dungeon right <laughs> there was a lot of if people wanted to leave the dungeon early because okay i think we accomplished what we needed to we got the mcguffin thingy okay we should back out and somebody go ah, i don't know there's stuff here 
That was a legit concern. Like, we need stuff. We absolutely need stuff because if we don't get the stuff, we can't have the gear because we need the gear. for That's where our power comes from and so on and so forth. So it's a different style of play and a different reward system. So that's pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. So, man, that's my total sidebar on uh, Greyhawk and first edition stuff. But what have you done gaming-wise since you and I last talked? Forbidden Lands. Nothing? Forbidden Lands is still going. Things are... Mm. We had a funny incident with a, a river crossing. Somebody... Okay. Who died, Sean? Anybody? Kill anybody? Uh, pretty close. <laughs> killed almost <laughs> killed Phil's character. Yeah. He was almost... He almost drowned? He almost drowned, yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was... Yeah. Him and... Well, and I think Wayne's character was sucking wind pretty bad. As a matter of fact, Wayne's character on the last one, he failed to make camp roll. So he would have been hit with lice. And with that, he would have taken a point of agility, and he only had one point, which would have made him broken in agility. So he had no agility left. Oh, God. Um, I think it was, right? And then to make this, to make it more kind of kind of co- coalesce with, with mm-hmm. kind of the situation instead of getting lice. Since he just came out of a river, we just had him make camp and he was infested with leeches. Which would also... <laughs> slightly different parasites. Which still would gonna, also make it... Up. Which would make it kind of better because the agility piece, mm-hmm. right, would, would definitely play a role in that. So that's been going uh, tomorrow night as of this recording. Cyberpunk Red is still going. Um, I had a conversation with my buddy Joe over the weekend in Hawaii. So, you know, talking about, you know, he's, he's, he's in the second session of, this is the Curse of Strahd guys, right? Jeff, yeah, yeah. Jeff and Joe mm-hmm. and the, guy, the gang and, and Andy and, and Joe decided to jump on that bandwagon and, you know, I'm just like, how's it going? Kind of told me. I said, okay, well, I'd love to play with you guys again, but here's, you know, here's kind of the situation. And, you know, we went back and forth. And I don't think anything's coming together there uh, unless it's like a play-by-post, maybe. So he'll, we'll see. Like he's, you know, he's in Hawaii. There's four hours difference now. And then when daylight savings time kicks off, it'll be five hours difference. difference. And then, you know, he's got one day off or two days. You know, I can't play on a Tuesday at noon or whatever, you know, like, or, or 10 o'clock at night for him. Dude needs to find a local group. Well, so he, <laughs> or time zone adjacent. Yeah. So anything. we'll see what that looks like. But I think, you know, once, like I said, cyberpunk rad potentially wraps up, I will probably, is there any insight for that one? And I'm not saying that I don't know. negative. I, I don't, I don't, cause, uh, that's the question. I haven't gone to Jimmy and said, hey, man, kind of what's your plan with this thing? And usually they'll play until Jimmy or the DM kind of or the GM will usually come to a point where it's like, you know, I think I'm going to wrap this up in like two more sessions. And since I'm we, asking that because you yeah. and I talked about, you know, knowing if the end is in sight and so forth. And right. post that episode, the more I thought about it, um, I got more questions from my crew. Like, hey, how's the Greyhawk thing? Are we close? What's going to what's next? Because I could feel the end yeah. you know, coming. And when they couldn't feel the end of a few other games, you would get the question. And it turned out like it wasn't, we're sick of this shit. It was just like, i just curious. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So the next thing, 
I don't know if I could play. I don't think I want to do a grand campaign. I want to do like a series and that series could be less than 10 sessions. So I don't know if that's a another Forbidden Lands group that I kind of run okay. in parallel with the other group, which would be fun. Very short, kind of done. It could be, I mean, part of me is like, let's bust out some old modules and I'll run Pharaoh or Tomb of the Lizard King, whatever. We'll just start out with, here's a module, one to three. Run it. Hey, here's another module, you know, two to four. Mm -hmm. Who's got, you know, and then after that, people have two or three characters and they're around, along the spectrum of yep. levels. I'll say, hey, I'm going to run you know, this module. The only problem is when we used to run those, we could run them in one setting or it would be the same group because we could just, you know, we were, we didn't have a life. We were kids. <laughs> exactly. So the tricky exactly. thing is getting the same people to show up the same consistently to finish that one module. So that's an idea or, you know, playing a, a multitude of other different games. Twilight 2000, I still want that charity game to, to happen, which is going to be on a whole nother spiel. So we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see after BSRCon how things go and what where all the dust settles, I guess. Yeah, I'm kind of, and that's, you know, I'm, I waited for the personal dust with the folks to settle so I can be like, oh, this is what, this is what free time looks like now. Or, wow, this right. is... Uh, Life has changed slightly for next month, two months. How long is this going to be? What, do I, what does it look like? So, you know, I I am actually contemplating very heavily. I'm gonna I'm gonna have somebody uh, that I'm gonna talk to about play by post, and I'll probably kick off a play by post. And if in my brain I have an idea of what play what works best for play by post, like the type of game, the type of people, oh, the expectations, gotcha, yep. right? If if I think about it, if it's a very uh, combat adverse type game, right? Makes a better play by post game. Then I may run a Delta Green Impossible Landscapes play by post, which could take play by post. I mean, that they could take five years. I think my experience with play by post, whenever I whenever I did it back in the day with uh, vampire stuff or even with uh, Avalon pieces and parts, it was always I shouldn't say always. We had the most fun when it wasn't a combat play by right. post. Um, they, there were a couple people in the group that I could do combat play by post because they didn't mind narrating back and forth without dice and just kind of working. Right. It was just a, a style thing for us. <clears throat> but there were a couple other people where we would get to a certain point and I'd say, this sounds like initiative. We'll take it up next session. And we'd be like, okay, cool. Then they'd be like, ah, waiting for the next in person. So they throw that 20 down and take our, you know, take a shot at it. But yeah, I could see, you could definitely see an investigation game. And even in a game like Delta Green, as deadly as it is, where combat is either, either avoided or you only get to make one mistake, <laughs> that right. type of thing. It, it's not, it's fun to go for your guns in that game, no doubt. But, uh, you know, the mooks die quick. But your character, you, you don't want to get shot. Right. Right. So, so I was thinking. No, I, I could totally see that being a good, yeah. mechanic, a good game for that. Call of Cthulhu or, or Delta Green. And, you know, this is the deal. Like, if there is combat, you know. And, and then I think if you, you know, I played by post ages and ages ago and it was short-lived. But I think the guy, it was a 3-5 game. Streamlined. Like, you only get three actions and then it's done. 
So I don't think the lethality or mortality rate was really cranked up, but you would state your three actions when you were about to get into initiative, and then those were narrated out in dialogue, and then that was it. Like So it wasn't go until the monster's dead by the book. It was an, a, an abbreviated combat, if you will. That's how I did it. I actually ran a... Um a small Avalon play by post, my buddy, uh, buddies, uh, Lenny and beta. We did that. They're two characters and, uh, it went really well for a very long time, but anytime it was a fight, the three of us liked to write and, uh, <clears throat> narrate back and forth. And it was fun. Like I do this, I spin, I do that. I'd give them a dramatic something or other. And, um, it, it was a great skin of your teeth kind of adventure winning, but there were no die rolls and right. it worked out fine. And I think there is a, we had an expectation set. We knew the three of us know each other. We're, you know, really good friends, been playing together forever. We all very similar styles, approach. We understood it. So I think that, um, what do I want to say? Anything that, uh, if you're very used to, I rolled a 20, give me a skill check, do this or that. Those are great tools. They really are. But um, some a play by post can be trickier to do that. Although I'm positive somebody's going to listen to us right now and say, "Oh no, it's not." Here's a tool I've used. And here's a mechanism and, and some examples, which is some other good shit too. I mean, I, I I recall people telling me stories about how they used a the game master rolled all the dice and posted the results by using a auto generator or rolling them at their table or whatever, and everyone just went, "Look, honor system." I, I believe you're not going to lie to me, right? Type of thing too. And again, it comes down to what you want to do and how you want to play it. So Yeah, and Delta cool, Green is you you can have them <clears throat> like okay, if they have a skill and it's at a certain uh percentage that you don't yep. have to have them roll. That's an option. Or you have Correct. them roll and you provide them the info. That system's pretty easy, straightforward. Like some of the other nuances is you know, in that downtime space, when you start seeing a, a psychologist or psychiatrist, and you're starting, but even that's a it's, lot of. It's also playing. not uber, and it's not uber tactical. No. where it's five foot squares matter, right? Right. right. And um, I'm just picking on the five foot squares. I mean, I love me a good tactical game. Right. Do not get me wrong. I love pushing lead on the table. It's a great deal, of fun. Yep. But if you want to do play by post, and you're like, okay, so the fireball is X number of squares by this. Uh, right. <laughs> it's kind of. <laughs> like, all right, everybody on roll 20. <laughs> I just, I think the concern with that is if I get into impossible landscapes, it's going to be, you know, can you, can you stick it out? So I, so my perspective, if, if I were to do it, I think I would pick a smaller adventure, get the feel for it and go, wow, that was fun. I could do impossible landscapes now. I got it. That's just me talking sure. where if you bit, if you bit off a big mother, you might be like, Ooh, ugh. Ooh, I your bigger my stomach on that, that one. That be, that's fair. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. Sean usually doesn't it. think about shit like that either. Like, eh, you know, it's it'll be fine. No, he doesn't. It'll, no, he doesn't. it'll, it'll either fall apart or it'll just work or itself work. out. Yeah. I don't know. Which is some of the beauty of Sean. Sean's like, eh, it didn't work. Yeah. You upset about it? Kind of. Yeah, whatever. Yes or next. Can. I don't know. It could be a complete flop and or could yeah. go nuts and it went nuts in a good way. So Yeah. We'll see. I hope I can make it, man. I'm yeah. Well, if you can't, there'll be another. Well, I'm sure there'll be another one. I know. It's I mean, in two hours, dude. Like what? Eighty percent of the games were full. It was crazy. Like, but it's not it crazy. Yeah, it's not a you know a thousand game con, but still. Doesn't have to be. It's still fun. Yeah. It's still cool. It'll be fun. All right. 
Let's random encounter. Let's get huh? in a random see encounter. Can, see if we can do a show. All right. I can tell folks right now this is probably going to be a long one. Show. Yeah, it's going to be long. Two, so yeah, it's, it's going to be long. It's going to be a long show. You don't get an episode every week, so the, the one you get will probably be a little longer now. Like eight hours long. You're like, Jesus Christ. What? Yeah. <laughs> random encounter, a segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. Um, yeah, we got a few this week. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Won't you start the first one and I'll pick up from there? All right, fair enough. Let me see. First one is going to be from Matt V. He writes, "This is a lot of these are on Rival Adventuring, uh, the Rival Adventuring Party episode." Oh, good. We we specifically said, "Wow, we're um, we're not utilizing this as we can. Hit us. Give us some. Give us some goods." All right. So Matt says, "Hello, gentlemen, and happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Matt V." Uh, I haven't finished the episode yet, but I happen to be in front of my computer right now and won't write this if I wait. I have used recurring rivaling, uh, rivaling adventure parties a few times that I can remember, and it's usually in a Shadowrun campaign, though I used this some in Mutineer Zero as well, uh, though slightly different. What I usually, uh, what I usually have done previously is introduced the parties on the same run, but they have slightly different paths, different goals in the same location. This is great because it allows the characters to join forces and get friendly with other party, uh, the other party, or at least not hostile right away. I usually make it at least one of them uh, very amiable and reasonable, even if the entire party isn't that way. Then I'll usually repeat this once or twice so the bonds between PCs and NPCs uh, grow. Um, He continues, Then I like to have the parties uh, both be going after the same objective, such as the uh, prototype freeze ray gun in a corp run. Then this brings up multiple dilemmas. They are infiltrating a corp, so going into open... Uh, warfare immediately is tantamount to suicide, and both sides know it. Do they make some sort of arrangement and combine forces to to? Where did I lose my strip? Combine forces to get the item, and then decide what to do. Do they each go on their own, and the first one wins? Do they make some sort of deal and split the uh, Nguyen, or uh, again, or do they go into open warfare after the the run? I've seen all these scenarios play out, and it makes for very memorable game sessions, especially when the people you are drinking with after a run two sessions ago that you were chummers with are now trying to blow your brains out. <laughs> Not sure if you, you will touch on this, but just wanted to throw out it, uh, throw it out there as a great way to use rival parties. I also have a topic idea based on a previous episode from several months ago. Several months ago now. I remember Brett mentioning AJ saying he didn't want to min-max anymore because he liked role-playing more than power gaming or optimization. Can't remember the exact term. When I was part of the online Pathfinder Society community, we would often get into debates over this issue relatively frequently. I don't think optimization and min-maxing have absolutely anything to do with role-playing. And I don't think they are the same thing either. I know some uh, people disagree, but in my experience, the best role players at my tables are almost always at least optimized, if not min-maxed as well. And I constantly remember one of the players who never min-maxed or optimized. I picked this feat because it fits my character, even though it's pointless, who thought it made him a better role player. 
Then he would whine almost every game session about how he was worthless and still argued he was a better role player because of those decisions, even though his RP at the table was more on the mediocre side. So is role-playing what happens at the game table, at the table in-game, character build decisions, especially when not advancing your shtick, both, neither. So I thought it might be interesting to actually define these terms and maybe elaborate on where you stand and why. These are somewhat nebulous terms, but not such that you can't come to the conclusion, except for maybe power gaming, which I'm not even 100% sure what it means. But the internet, which is never wrong, seems to have defined it as knowing rules so well you could use what you have for maximum advantage in every situation. Anyway, congrats on seven years and thanks for doing such a great job for so long. I came in early during year four, have listened to every episode and since and the back catalog, and you are still the only gaming podcast I've found that I always tune into and enjoy. Thanks. That is a lot of podcasts to listen to. <laughs> so, Matt, thank you. Matt, That's awesome, Matt, man. Matt's a thank trooper, you. man. Damn right. Jeez. Probably some real stinkers in there, too. So thank you, Matt, for suffering through it. Yes. Um, so that is some awesome stuff. When I when I heard Sean reading through that, I'm like, oh, my God, what a beautiful setup on that Shadowrun game. Right. The the rival party's like, hey, man, we're buds. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. And then, wham, the, it starts to fall apart. The challenges come. I like that. That's a great way to do it. That is That is really well done. I'm definitely stealing that, dude. That's good stuff. The other, when you mentioned AJ talking about not wanting to min-max because he like role-playing more than power gaming or optimization, I think you're right there. It, it was kind of a, probably, I don't recall the, I don't recall the exact words I used, but it was probably more of a throwaway comment. And um, you're right. It does deserve some kind of more of a, a deeper dive or a dig into it, right? Because we talk about that stuff like, oh, so-and-so is a power gamer. Oh, they're always min-maxing. Oh, the least optimized are great role players and so on. When, hmm. I don't know about that. You know, I, I think that's a good. I think that's a good point, um, because that that person who always takes the, well, this is the most cool. Like your example about the person taking a feet and then whining that they're useless and so forth. I think there's also a. Um, there is. I have seen and played with folks who are wonderful role players and will off also maximize the ever living fuck out of every character they've ever made. Their character's unstoppable, killing machine, wizard, sorcerer, pilot, whatever, but they're also amazing role players. And um, I think um, it, what AJ was getting at, and again, I'm, I'm recalling it out of the dust of my brain, but I think AJ was getting at, I want to focus on something else instead of just looking at my numbers. He was doing it from a math perspective. And when I say that, he was like, I want to make sure he had the best pluses. I had the best opportunities to always win or always score the hits, always do the most damage type of thing. And he was ignoring um, anything other than being effective in combat. So again, though, is that the only type of optimization? Not necessarily. You could be a character who's totally optimized for every social interaction and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, Matt, that's a damn good topic, man. I think I'm, I'm going to definitely add that one into the hopper. That's got to go in there. So thank you for bringing that one up. That's good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Matt. <clears throat> Very good. All right. Who's up next here? Josh, our Uber mileage leader, writes in on rivaling adventuring parties. Hello and Wilmette. I enjoyed the discussion on rival adventuring parties and have some feedback. 
You were very focused on rival parties in the context of an adventure. I've had great experience with rival parties in the context of the game world. You never met them in a dungeon or, or on a mission, but they're out there making decisions and changing the game world. Delay a side quest to do something else. Maybe the rivals did it off camera, or maybe they screwed it up. Offend the union boss at a social gather- gathering. Maybe the rivals start getting her quest hooks, and the PCs don't hear about it till after the fact. Need a magic MacGuffin to solve a problem? Maybe the rivals have it for the right price. PC <laughs> died in blazing fireball. Maybe they can poach a new member from the rivals. To kit them out, all you need is race, a class, and personality for each member. Players and characters creation ADHD <laughs> will enthusiastically create them for you. Players with character creation ADHD will enthusiastically create them for you. My gaming group still reminisces about the assholes of Mithril Hall, a rival party from their prior campaign. A little competition can go a long way. Good day and good gaming all, Joshua. Josh, that's a neat idea, having them kind of off camera, right? Like somebody you hear about. I can think of um, some of the Oceans movies. I've seen a couple of them, like the Oceans 11 stuff. You're like, oh, I heard about that guy. Oh, yeah, that's that group. Or that's their that's their thing. And you don't always meet them. You hear about a rival group or a band or another pack of people who do jobs or whatever the case is, right? A crew is out there doing something. I could definitely see that as being effective. They're, they're rivals, but you don't have to even meet them right up front. And you can sprinkle it out there and then develop it if anybody gives a crap, right? That's the other cool thing about that, Josh, is that if you throw it out there and you say, hey, rival group does X, and your player characters go, huh, oh, well, good for them, one less thing for us. Are you okay, rival group does Y? Huh. And the PCs start getting interested, then you can develop and develop. But if they never care about it, maybe you could drop it and don't have to flesh out the whole party type of thing. So, huh. That's another damn good idea. What do you think, Sean? You like that? I think that's good. I do think it's good. Yes. I like the idea of having them be in the context of the gaming world instead of just the individual adventure. I like that. That's a broader approach I had not thought about. That's good stuff, man. All right, sir, over to you. All right. Next one is all part of the plan comments on rival adventuring parties. I have a big beef with this because a huge detail of RPGs that I feel like is always inferred in the books but practically never implemented in-game is the simple fact that the party members are not the only adventurers out there. It's a huge plot hole, I feel like, and I find it in most games. It bugged me so much that I wrote an entire campaign about it. Some notable details from from my now mostly loss campaign notes include the players are rookies and not well known they know of several famous adventurers who have been around for a while the history of the world has been heavily influenced by previous adventurers who are no who are long since or recently deceased the players will meet or interact with around 15 other adventuring parties of varying level and alignment all through the campaign their interactions excuse me, will influence future quests. They can create allies that will help them or even ask for their help later, create enemies that will seek revenge either through violence or defamation. And over the course of the campaign, the rookies become famous, well-known adventurers. Uh, Some quest patrons hire multiple parties and insist they work together to handle more difficult quests. 
For example, the second quest, allowing following the player's small increase in notoriety, was an invitation to join a party of 50 adventurers hired by the kingdom to deal with a dragon. Spoilers, it ended, up, it ended with a double cross by one particular band of miscreants who steal the dragon's egg and flee to a neighboring rival kingdom. Past <laughs> adventurers rise from the dead. Information and rumors lead the players to misjudge various other characters, and even NPCs can change and evolve over time whether the player characters choose to believe it or not. I like the idea of this bullet point list. All part of the plan has this this cool list here, right? So even if I went through and said, huh, I don't know if I like this one, I don't know if I like that one. We've talked about making a list before on the power sometimes of writing it down, like the random encounter list. Like, oh, that's what this is. That's what that is. And I think a cool piece here is if we say, this is, I think, and I don't know if, if all part of the plan meant to do this, but I see this bullet list as like, damn, that's a tool I could use if I've never implemented it, which I really haven't the rival adventuring party, what do I want them to do? Write down some options like this. And then if you're going through and you say, wow, okay, cool, cool, cool. You know what? Option three is the one I want to deploy right now. You can cross it off, make a mark, whatever it is you want to do and say, boom, you know, players meet or interact with an adventuring party, intentions, influence, future quests. And you say, bam, I just, I, I implemented that tonight. Perfect. Awesome. Love it. I think that's, that's a damn good way to go because then you don't feel like you're stuck. You, you can have your adventuring party, your rival one, and you're like, I don't, I want to use it, but I don't know how or where do I? What's the most effective way to do it? But you've got it waiting in the wings in this series of three, four, five, however many you want options to deploy them. I think that could be pretty handy because, as we all know, the player's going to pick. You've got three options written out. They're going to pick option four and option eight. You know, that's just what they do. But if you've got this list, you'd be like, aha, they chose option eight. No idea what that option is, but by God, I'm going to slap this in there. I think that's pretty cool. That's a just a little tactical thing. And all part of the plan, I don't know if, like I said, I don't know if you meant to do that, but that's what this, this is good feedback. And I like the idea of taking it and making it a checklist or an options list for that rebel adventuring party. I like it. I think that's pretty cool. That's good stuff. You good, Sean? Move I on. am good. Go ahead. <laughs> Let's see here. Broken Ruler, our buddy Todd, comments on the Rival Adventuring Party here. I've always thought about using a Rival Party adventure campaign, but it never got around to it. But I could definitely think of a couple of groups where rivals would have kept them on track, for fuck's sake. <laughs> the number of shopping sessions we could have fast-tracked because while our intrepid heroes were out looking for matching capes, yes, this actually happened, maybe <laughs> there are far less vain heroes who cracked the first vault's code and are going to make off with all the glory. One, per, one alternate version of this has been on my mind for years is to play the criminals pulling off the heist in one section, then play the detectives in the next. Use the clues you left behind to track down the culprits and play off your own memories of the heist rather than relying or on interpreting what the GM tells you one of these days. <laughs> I like that idea of using um, the Rival Adventuring Party to keep focus and keep things on track. <laughs> if I think about not only just as Todd mentions, <coughs> God damn, um, as Todd mentions with the um, the shopping for matching capes or something silly, or there's they're arguing with the blacksmith once again on a plus one sword or whatever they're arguing about. Any time that they're kind of meandering, milling about, or not, or they're turtling up on you, they don't want to go, they don't want to do. If they know for a fact that the order of the cloven hoof is going to get the job done if they don't do it, it's a clock. 
right? The clock is ticking. Tick, 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 tick. It's going to come around, man. If you don't do it, the cloven hoof is going to. What are you going to do about it? Going to let them have it? Going to steal it from them later? What do you want to do with it? So there's something to be said about that. I could, And I think about when I say clocks, of course, I think uh, our limited exposure blades in the dark together. But that, that type of tool could be used anywhere. And I, I like that idea because you can, as a game master, and even as a player, you can come and go, wait a minute, guys. If we don't do X, these folks, these cats, these other folks, they're going to step in and take this from us. Or they're going to apply pressure to us. If we sit here too long, they'll find us. We got to keep moving. We got to keep going. So there's something to be said about that. I like that idea, too. That's really good, Todd. Thank you. That's good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Todd. We good, man? Anything else? No, we should get to the main topic. That was some good shit, too, folks. That was really good. Like Sean and I said initially, we didn't have a whole lot around that, so that was good. Thank you. All right. Main topic. Where is it here? What are we talking about this week, Brad? Well, I want to talk about a rough draft. So... One of the things that people like to compare, my daughter and I, um, Ilana and I were just talking about this because she's planning a game for Evercon. And she was getting frustrated that um, she likes to write stories, um, little short stories and so forth. And she's like, this is different enough or difficult. She's having a hard time. And I told her, I said, one of the things that people like to compare RPGs to is novels, screenplays, writers, right? We like to say, hey, we're writing a thing or it's similar to. And I think one of the things that we really need to understand and appreciate about those products that they're heavily edited. They're managed and modified long before they come to us. Right? So you go see the movie, even if and if the movie sucks, one of the first things you'll hear, or you'll hear this even about an RPG. No one bothered to edit this thing. Oh, where's the proofreader? Right? <laughs> We're looking for a polished something. When we create an adventure, a campaign, or even a simple encounter, we need to understand that it's a rough draft. Even if you run that adventure encounter campaign multiple times, it's still no better, in my opinion, the second, third, or maybe even fourth draft. You know, GMs and players, I think we need to accept that mistakes will happen sometimes and a tweak may need to be made on the fly to fix a problem that you may or may not have ever encountered before. We're like, oh my God, I didn't know what to do here. It's a draft. I can change this. Now, this is, it might get ugly from here, but I know some people will say, you know, never fudge dice, blah, blah, blah. And some people don't like it. But I know some folks who, myself included, who will fudge dice sometimes because I designed this encounter incorrectly. I fucked this up. I need to make an adjustment, you know. Or restarting a campaign because of a TPK or like, oh, my God, that went horribly wrong or holy shit, everything fell apart. I think there, there is a... Um, I think the other part about some of this is that when we when we expose people to the fact <clears throat> that we're adjusting and uh, making changes and it's rough draft and we're kind of fixing or editing on the fly, as you will, if you will, um, I think what's interesting is that some folks that I've encountered and that I've seen online and even friends of mine that I've had over the years, they have an extra they there's they add a level of believability to something that's written down rather than something that's just made up, right? So they have this feeling that if it's written down, it's better, stronger, faster, and whatever. But again, when it's a campaign, 
even when you pick up Storm King's Thunder or you grab um, the Ravenloft campaign, Curse of Strahd, anything that's published, um, possible landscapes, it's still a draft for you. They wrote it, they play tested it, that's true, but they've never encountered your players that you're playing with right now at the table and the decisions they're making with the characters they made, the time of day, phase of the moon, and <laughs> everything else that goes Well, yeah, it. that's for damn sure. <laughs> the moon phases they get you. I know. So, do you agree with me, Sean? That's kind of just a. Pr- I just want to throw that out there. Is like a is just a general kind of discussion topic for you. And I really, I've started looking at more of the stuff I I put together. I'm like, this is the. It's a draft. Whatever I put together, my my daughter was talking to me. She was trying, like I said, trying to write this adventure idea up. And I said, look, here's the deal. I did not. I started Avalon on my own. But the final product that Encoded helped me put together has many people's fingerprints all over it. It's a more polished thing than if I ever did it on my own. Sean does a lot of work to clean up the podcast, take this, organize that. If we have a mistake, he polishes and fixes. And we try to make it as, as good as you can. Um, when you listen to us live, that's the rough draft. right? That's that's where we're like, ah, fuck, this didn't work. Or, oh, shit, we had a sound problem. But we, we organize that. that. You know, things happen, you fix and adjust. And sometimes I think when we we get frustrated with ourselves and we have to make a ruling, we can't remember what the drowning rules are. We The chase scene rules for whatever are fucked up. We got to sit down, try to fix it, reorganize it. And I think sometimes even as, um, as players, it's advantageous for us to remember that it is a rough draft. And even our own ideas as players can be rough draft. So when I say, hey, I'm... My character wants to accomplish this goal. I'm thinking of doing it that way. Source the table, ask them, hey, this sounds cool, whatever the case is. But anyhow, it's not, I don't mean to take every role playing game and make it a writer's table game, but just, I don't think there's any other art form. There's art forms similar to RPGs, but they're not RPGs. You know, what's theater like? What's stage theater like? Is it exactly like a movie? No. Is it exactly like TV? No. Is it exactly like improv theater? Uh, no. Parts of it, but not all of it. Right? It, it's a, it's its own self-contained entity. And I think one of the pieces that is contained within the RPG space is that these things we're doing, I think about you, Sean, when you run um, Forget About It. Right? It, it's not the same advantage. You, you have to do different things every time. It's not the exact same every time you run it, right? No, because we got pesky players that do different things. <laughs> that's that's why. Bastards. All of them bastards. Some bitches. <laughs> so what do you think about that, Sean? Does that add, does that, is that thought of the, of um, our campaigns or adventures being drafts, does that, do you think, okay, cool, who fucking cares? Or do you think, oh, that, does that help you at all? Or what, what do you, what do you think about that idea? Well, I think the concept is interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 big, the only caveat I would have with that is that drafts are usually, like you mentioned, are associated with something you are trying to produce. And I get that the game is something, like a session, and there's a thing being produced yeah yeah. it is but when you're doing say like a video or an audio or 
writing a book or a short story, <clears throat> you are there's a sense of control that goes into that piece. And I think that if we ex exert that type of control on something like a role-playing game, that that's not going to work. That that's where you get into bad game mastering or you know, you're you're try the GM is trying to tell their story. Yep. Right in the in the, not have the 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 you know, have it develop through play. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's where I'm saying is that, you know, if we all look at it and say, hey, it's a draft of a sort, and all of us at the table are trying to produce the thing. The Game Master came up with the scenario. We're all trying to produce the thing together. It's a bit of a writer's table piece sure. in a way. Yes. But the other the other component is then, as Game Masters, that when you're running an, an encounter and um, the bounty hunters are kicking the shit out of your star troopers, you're like, holy crap! Stormtroopers. Uh, this is this was supposed to be. No, I, I, I'm, I'm going generic. Okay. Stormtroopers is generic. Smart move. But anyway, so whatever's happening, right? So the bounty hunters are kicking the crap out of your PCs. And you're yes. like, this shouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. This is supposed to be a throwaway encounter. I I wrote this adventure. I designed this campaign. Whatever it is, this is supposed to be an encounter to whet their appetite to uh, go after blah blah blah. And the players' dice are cold. I can't not hit. Oh my God. I have critically wounded and taken down three, you know, 75% of the party. Wow. Right. Do I play it to its conclusion and say too fucking bad first night? Everybody TBK dead. Yes. Says Sean. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what I'm saying is that if you as a game master say, huh, I might need to change that. You in changing it on the fly, I think is acceptable. It's acceptable to me because I look at these things. I've never, I haven't used the term as a draft before, but when I have an encounter and I modify the monster a little bit or I add some hit points to it because, wow, this is supposed to take a little bit longer or I want this to be a little more thrilling or, huh, whatever, I need to make an, I need to make an adjustment to this encounter. I don't. I don't feel bad about doing that. I don't feel like I'm cheating. And I know some players and some uh, just gamers in general think that that's cheating or they don't like the modification at all. They're like, hey, look, if you wrote it and it failed, whatever, write better next time. Design better next time. And I think that's it, it's really hard to do because even really good um, game authors and designers and, and writers and all that stuff, they still have yet to encounter my gaming style, all my players' gaming styles, or you and yours, whoever's listening, right? So we don't know what's going to do. So let me throw this at you. So in, um, in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, spoilers, so if you haven't played it yet, there are um, people are trying to appease the Frost Maiden through human sacrifice in certain towns. There is nothing in that adventure that I can find that says um, you should try to stop that. Or what happens if the players try to stop human sacrifice? Or it's really not like a focal piece of a campaign. Now, I've got some players that if I tell them, yeah, and they're sacrificing people, they're like, okay, stop, fine, stop, fuck. The, the campaign stops until we solve the human sacrifice problem. Right? I've got some players that would focus in on that and want to solve sure. that. That is not a focal point of that campaign. I've seen some folks online say that is a design flaw. 
And I'm like, I don't know if I call it a design flaw per se. Um, I didn't even think about it as an issue until I started to see it online where people said, I was running this. My players encountered human sacrifice. The campaign ground into a weird ass halt because I didn't, the campaign didn't tell me what to do type of thing. Right. And that's where I'm like, even if you buy it and it's, it's a published adventure and you've got it, it's never going to account for everything. Yes. Maybe that is a glaring omission. I don't know how you want to uh, account for it. But if I have this, let's say, you know, you've got this human sacrifice thing going on and your character's like, wow, that sucks. Well, let's, I'll tell you what, let's go stop the Frost Maiden and we'll deal that. That should clear up the human sacrifice thing. They walk away from it. That's totally possible. Yeah. But if you have to modify it, if you have to change it a little bit, I think that's okay. If you have to add something to the adventure, if you have to modify that encounter, say, okay, the players chose to go fix the human sacrifice problem. That wasn't in the original adventure you wrote or designed or what you planned. It's okay. I don't, you don't have to feel like you failed. You don't have to feel like the adventure sucks or whatever. It's There's some work to be done there. It needs to be changed a little bit because it's a draft. It's That thing has never encountered you and your players. You're giving me a weird face, dude. <laughs> is it a bad cat litter thing went off again. Um, <laughs> I can hear it. I know. Yeah. Uh, so, are you talking? Are you talking about doing it on the fly or doing it before you present it? Like, oh, this I'm reading this. At this doesn't make time, sense. I'm going to change it. Totally, any and all. Okay. And I, the reason I'm saying that is because I, huh, I think we need to start looking at these things, or at least if you have the ability to say, "Oh, look, it's a draft. It's okay." I like the bones of what's here. I'm going to make some notes right in my book if I'm a blaspheming type of person or make notes on the side like a good, you know, logical person. Um, I think that's fine. When I see reviews of a game product and someone goes, it didn't account for X and this is poor design, blah, blah, blah. There's, there are some things that I think could be considered poor adventure design, right? Like the only way to advance is to make a pass... Uh, a pass or fail test. If you don't make the pass or fail test, you only get one try, the campaign falls apart. We could argue that's bad design. But otherwise, as we start doing these things, especially when we're writing it ourselves, we're designing our own stuff, we're creating our own campaigns and so forth. I think for me, and when I ex was explaining it to my daughter earlier today, and I explained it to my son a while ago, I said, for me, thinking about the stuff as a draft that I'm going to practice, I'm going to try with my group, I think this will work. Let's see how it goes. Um, I have hopes for it. I want it to work. I want this encounter to function properly, you know, with this big with the bugbears or the bounty hunters, or whatever I've got going. But I'm open to it failing in some way. I'm open to maybe having to modify it. I'm open to maybe having it go completely sideways. That's fine. And not being too not being too tied up in it because you know you're you're learning as how this group plays and so on and so forth. Sean, you're you seem you seem no, I'm that seems a little reckless, Brett. I don't know. Seems a little reckless. Seems like you're, I don't know, man. It seems a little too wishy washy not for you. Wishy washy. It seems like uh, you, you want a harder you're line. Walking the edge, man. Like right on that cliff. <laughs> Somebody just go. And like you're you're right over. over the edge. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I suppose. Uh, 
God, it would go against everything in my being <laughs> to, nice. to, to like want to flex. <sighs> but I suppose, I mean, why not? Why not? I guess it depends. You know, it depends on the situation. And, and maybe this doesn't bother you, man. But do you ever find yourself when you you read a campaign or something, or you you're working out something on your own, and if it's not working, you feel hamstrung, like I don't know what to do, or I can't change it? Do you ever feel I like did. you can't modify it? Do you ever get that feeling? I, I have that I, feeling. I'm asking when I'm making up my own stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I'm saying it from a point of it's happened to me, right? But I've so the reason I'm asking is because for me it became when I started, and I didn't think about it with this term, right? I don't even know how I got my brain there, but I was thinking about it as a draft, like yeah, oh, this is something newspaper maybe explain to somebody, and, you know? Yeah, I'm like, well, let's just try this. Right. Let's see what happens. Trial and error, I used to call it, or like, hey, I think this ought to work. Here's some shit I threw together, but think of it as a rough draft or a draft version, or almost ready for the editor, <laughs> whatever phrasing I want. But that made me as a game master and as a player just relax. When I encountered when Nick, my buddy Nick, was running a camp, running a Conan campaign, and we ran into an encounter that was not going the way Nick expected it to. It was very obvious. He planned the thing; it was not fucking working at all. And um, one person was getting a little annoyed, and I just leaned over and said, "Hey, that's fine." That's cool. It's just an encounter. We're, we'll be fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. It's just a monster. We'll get through this. But Don't worry. I think you can alleviate all of that if you by being perfect. Well, <laughs> if you just present the problem as the problem. Explain. Okay. Let me before I explain. You come up with an example. Okay. Oh, Nick. Okay. You kind of touched on it. Nick had the yep. encounter. I don't have all the, the details, right? Like what mm -hmm. that meant. Like, can you give me more details of what, like, did it? Yeah. So there's a, there's a puzzle we were supposed to solve. Okay. And if we failed or did X, basically what ended up happening, instead of the results that we'd all hoped for, we ended up getting essentially teleported and we lost everything. It was like tantamount to you wake up naked in okay. the field, all your gears so gone. So is that is Nick running a published adventure or not? Okay. No, he created He's creating it. Okay. No, he created it. Yep. And and there was that the obstacle was to solve the puzzle. Yep. And you guys didn't? Or you, no, we blundered. Blu it. We okay. totally blundered it. Yeah, we totally blundered. And it. in so doing, Nick thought you guys would be able to walk through it, like solve it i think it, when he and i talked about afterwards he's like i didn't think like the worst possible thing would happen but that's exactly what happened okay so i've thought about that since and one of the things i and i actually i didn't bring up that exact example to my daughter today but i told her i said do not create something that you're not willing or that you how do i say this don't create something you're not willing to live with in a way. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So if you build if you build a, a trap. Expect and and there's a one in there's a one in four chance that everyone dies and has to make new characters based on a bad die roll. Right. Because everyone you know, Brett rolls a D four. If he rolls a one, the the world explodes and everybody but dies. But expect that one to be a possibility. Otherwise, don't have Brett roll. Exactly. Right. Then you've got to take yes. it out. And sometimes though, that that's where from my perspective 
I look at that and go, wow, I built this cool thing. Well, won't this be fun? I've got the world explodes if Brett rolls a one. Okay, great. And then through the process, if you're paying attention and you're looking at it in that draft mode, like, okay, how's this playing? How are we doing? Where are we at? Brett's going to roll. He rolls a one. You look at the chart and maybe you should inverse the chart. Maybe let's not blow up the world. We don't have to say the world blows up. Everybody dies. There's no saving throw. Nope, no save. It says so right here. Fuck you. You're all dead. You don't have to do instant super tetanus. You can ignore it, modify it, do something to change it because you realize at that moment, I'm oversimplifying the Nick's situation. So there was much more nuance than this. I'm way simplifying it. And uh, it, <clears throat> if you look at that and say, oh, my God. I created a monster here. I, I, I caused, I have a thing, a design, a piece of it that isn't, it's going to do more damage than I thought what? it would. Wow, that's not, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think anybody would roll a one. You know, I just thought it would be fun to have. Like, why did you do that? But we learn these things because we'll, we'll be creating, and a lot of times you're creating alone. Yeah. As game masters, we're, we're, we're not talking to each other, man. I don't sit down with my players and say, hey, I've got this really cool idea for this next encounter. What do y'all think? I planned it out just like this. You know, we're trying to keep this shit secret and trying to surprise people and all this stuff. And we end up doing a lot of discussion with ourselves. And we come up with this clever idea where Parley's pretty damn sure is very fucking clever, really cool, and so on and so forth. And um, you write it down so it adds some extra verve and meaning. And then it lays out there and you're like, oh, my God, the worst possible thing happened. And my chart says the world explodes. Don't do that. You, you can change it. Don't. So if you remember that this is a draft. So what were you if saying? It's a, so in the genuine sense of the word, if it is that mm. epiphany, like, oh, damn, this I shouldn't have wrote it that way or I shouldn't have <laughs> set it up in that manner. I shouldn't have put that entry mm. in the, the weird table that I could roll on. Yep. Then I am I'm a, I am wholly on board with it being considered a like a draft in the, the sense that we're talking. I'm right? talking about. Yep. Yes. Fair. And then I would be like. Then you need to self-edit and go, why is that in there? And why should I expect Brett not to roll a one? And one is the world explodes. So I should probably remove that. Either on do it on the fly, inverse the table, like you mentioned, and actually get rid of it. Like, if you run it again, Scratched. Like, it's not in there. <laughs> yeah. Because I think we get into these. There is a... I actually, so to, yeah. to a immediate piece, I actually had to do something similar to that in my Tomb of Horrors huh? game where I went, I am not doing this. If I follow the advice written in this adventure, well, this is going to be Tomb horror. of Horrors. I'm not doing a bad this. Example. This is, yeah. the, I'm going to say the return of, the return oh. to, Bruce Cordell wrote it in the larger piece when they're in the city of Moyle and the fortunes of conclusion and so forth. I'm like, I wanted to have. Not balanced, not it was just I, I had this uh, this idea in my head was like a fighting chance. Sure. Smart play should blah blah blah. If I did every trick that was listed out there, they'd have never <laughs> made anywhere close. That I fucking murdered them all. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I can't do it. I'm like, I just I can't, I'm not going to do that because and I also got to a point where it was a a slog to do certain things and they forgot one thing to release the phantom flyer to get them from point A to point B. They did everything else except for one thing in order to find the thing. They would have had to go back through like 13 different towers room by room, blah, blah, blah. Should I do that? Fuck no shortcut. Boom. Answer. Move on. 
Anyway, I interrupted you again, which is my curse. Sorry. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So I. Th- so you had a you had a point you were just no, trying I think, to make. I, I think is it is it is it is you if you d- design if you put something into place or you design something you write it down or you're running a published adventure and it doesn't make sense or it shouldn't be in there because it's just whatever the reason specifically I mm-hmm. think when it comes to like pretty extreme things like you were saying like you roll a one in the world it explodes or you know or or if they don't pass this test. The adventure comes to a screeching halt. They can't get the MacGuffin, whatever that is. And, you know, you're right. Some people would look at it as a design flaw. Sure. I think in some in some situations, it is very much a design flaw. If you can change it either on the fly or in future iterations, then great. It's the draft piece. Mm. And you have to be able, yes, and then I agree. Uh, understanding it is a draft and that it isn't like the be all end all and that you could change it and adapt on the fly then then fantastic and it puts you in a specific headspace where it's not you screwed up the the module because you changed the canon of the module to be something that it shouldn't many times i yep. think we just get into this weirdness and I don't know if it's necessarily new GMs either. You know, sometimes I think we like to point new GMs and less experience and they they feel like they have to go buy the book and, you know, they maybe buy a book. Um, well, I'll tell you, I, I know people who specifically don't like buying published adventures because they don't like feeling because they don't want to change them. Quite frankly, I've talked <clears throat> a couple friends of mine from back in high school early in college, we would talk about this. They only, you know, rolled their own. Why are you rolling your own? I don't like having to run somebody else's stuff. Like, we can always change it. Well, then what's the point? That would be the answer. <clears throat> right? So, let's say you're running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, and you decide, look, human sacrifice well, is not a good idea for me to have with this group. I'm going to rewrite that. Well, I'm going to change that. You change that, but I think I think that's a little short-sighted for folks that whimsically... Oh, it's totally, yeah, it's yeah. totally short-sighted. It, it's it's like baby out with bath, right. whatever. Yeah, other throw the baby it's out with terrible. the bathwater. Yeah, and I think the idea. reason is is because you know my 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 excuse for running published is like, man, my my brain is dry in the creativity scene. However, so they have a good, even if I don't run it, even if I don't run it verbatim. It, it gives me a starting point or some things I can work with. So, if yeah, I could, Correct. you know what I'm saying? So, it's not like, Absolutely. yeah, and some of that, like, writing a Ravenloft, Curse of Strahd, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, some of those big juggernaut uh, adventures are no freaking joke, man. And it comes over time if you're running your own homebrew, but if you're going to sit down and go, I don't want to run that because, well, that's somebody else's stuff. I'm going to do my own. And you pound that out. Good, good on you. Great, but that's a lot of work mm. and effort and time. It is, and, and I and I think sometimes when we do that, there's some there's some potency to I'm running a published adventure. If I change it, I've talked about this before. I've cheated it, or I've I'm I shouldn't edit it. I should run it as is. Now, again, I'm saying it's still a draft for your group. Whether it's been edited before it got to your table, it just makes it readable, right? Whether it works for your group, it's going to take some work. And I think sometimes, myself included, when I, I've, I have created uh, uh, an idea for a campaign or an idea for an encounter or something, 
the more fun I started to have is when I was like, this is a neat idea. Let's see what happens. Right. Let's let's look at it as a draft. I'm going to throw this out there and see if they destroy it, love it, hate it, whatever happens, and we'll move on. And I believe I've developed a pretty finely tuned sense for like, wow, this is not landing. Moving on. Yeah. It's like the, the stand-up comedian says a joke and goes, wow, this is not the crowd. This is not the crowd for millennial jokes. Ooh. We're moving on, right? This is not, and it's it's a similar type of tone, but, but sometimes when we write a thing, we put all this creative energy into it. We did it ourselves. We sat down after work, after school. We put together this dungeon. We did all this stuff. We put all our heart and soul into it. And it is difficult to think of um, to think of it sometimes as a draft because it gets ready for prime time. I got this. We're good to go. We're good. And um, realizing, leave yourself the room. Leave yourself the the ability to realize that maybe you made a mistake or like, wow, this isn't working well. It's not landing. I need to adjust it in some way, shape. No. And even if you don't do it this time, bring it back up and modify for next. No week. game survives contact with the players. <laughs> And, and no written work survives contact with the game no. master. The dungeon yeah. didn't land. Yeah, it didn't no, land. It didn't land. Just it didn't, didn't work. Land. It Did was one work. of those bad yeah. nights at yeah. the improv, man. Yeah, it just didn't work. No. But I think for me anyway, and um, and I don't know if this helps anybody else or not, but I, I just it was a, a phrase thinking of it as a draft. Um, I used to say I'm, I'm throwing shit on the wall. I'm going to try this out. Let's see if it works. But now just kind of concisely saying it's a draft. How rough of a draft is it? Well, I've run this same type of a encounter um, 10 different times. Pretty good at this. Hey, Sean, how's that? You know, forget about it going. Pretty good. You, you ready? Yeah, I've run it a bunch. I can pretty much deal with it. You're ready to edit on the fly. You're ready to modify. You know you came in with a pretty solid draft, a pretty solid screenplay, but you're ready for the actors to take it a little crazy. You're ready for the people reading and playing their parts and putting info into you to do stuff. You're like, okay, let's just move. We can change that. We can adjust this and so forth. And um, again, it's a practice thing. Like we got to get used to it. But for me, I really think that realizing I can change things sometimes on the fly. I could fudge a die roll or I could add a monster and go, wow, they're chewing through these goblins. I could add 10 more goblins because I need two more. Because where I tactically made a mistake and put the NPC bad guy, she's got to run. It's going to take her three rounds to get there based on movement. Fuck, I need to keep the players away from her to keep her alive. <sighs> I could magically, am I, you know what? Fuck it. I'll throw 10 more goblins at him and see what happens. You know, that's okay. You just, you undersold yourself on the number of goblins you needed to keep the party busy. They're going to smoke the goblins, right? You're not worried about that. You're just worried about it. It went too fast. It didn't have the oomph you wanted it to, or whatever the case is. Hey. And some people will say, you know, fucking let it die. And fix well, it next time. That's legit. Yeah. But I, I don't mind fixing it. Well, sometimes you just gotta, you know, you just gotta know, like it's not always gonna be home run every time you go to bat. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes you can throw that draft out there. Someone's gonna, you're going to encounter the draft, and you're gonna be like, well, that, that's dunk. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work. We've all had failures. We've talked about you and I've talked about many times on the show. I tried a campaign idea and that failed. Tried an encounter, whoo, not so good. But if you. If you start to think of these things as drafts and practice, like, okay, I put this together. I threw it at the editors. They threw it back to me and said, not good enough. Try harder. That's okay. You know, it, it's it's not the end of the world. And I think we put a lot of thought and energy into all of this stuff. 
And I think the same can be said even from a player's perspective. You build these characters, you put a lot of effort and energy into it. And sometimes I think, um, this may be overly bold, but sometimes I think when some players like, I don't ever want my character to die until the end of the campaign or it has to be traumatic or whatever it is, is, is we have a thing. Sometimes I've encountered this sometimes where some players have what I think is legit reasoning for that. And what I also sometimes I think is like, I have a set thing. I'm going to tell this story come hell or high water from a player's perspective. I've seen the same thing and they get pissed if they're not allowed to tell their character's story the way they want it told. And I think that comes to when we talk about, you know, the truth is at the table, learning things through play. And when we've talked about like, hey, sometimes it's okay, let your your players change their character as the campaign starts two sessions and like, oh, can I do a skill change? Can I do a because it really seems like that type of editing and that type of um, massaging of the draft that is the character, I think is equally as important. And realizing that it's just a game, this shit's malleable. And you can modify it. And if you've written out a campaign, you've written out these multiple encounters, you've got this girl dungeon or the space station, whatever it is you've got. And you realize partway through, you need more rooms. Or, wow, the characters don't care about X. I need to change this. I need to do something different. That's okay. It doesn't mean what you wrote or what you designed or built is no good. I think that's a sign of maturity and it's a sign of intelligence to, for you as the game master and the players to look at that stuff and say, I'm going to change this to fit the needs of what's going on. I think that's, I think that's cool stuff. I just think it's, I think it's worth thinking about from that perspective. So anyway, hopefully somebody found that useful besides me. <laughs> you good, Sean? I am good. All right. Let's, let's go to die roll. Die roll. Let's move on. We're starting to hit terminal repeat. We are. I noticed that. Yeah. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to bring to you. First one this week. Was I, I don't know if it's whatever. Pradama. Pradama. I don't know. The world's largest cave castle. Cave castle. Yeah. Somebody on our Discord, like... I think, is it this one or somebody else posted another one that somebody lives next to over in Europe? Southwest Slovenia. Yeah. Halfway up. Yeah. Might be Nubis, actually. Wow. Nubis might. It appears in records from 1202 and listed by Guinness World's Records, the largest cave castle. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's some James Bond shit there, boy. That's. Wow, that's a. <laughs> I think, cool, I think like Nubis it. lives like at the foot of the hills of this thing. That is wow. Yeah. So there you go. Something it's cool. We want to share that. Anyways. It's a local Robin Hood like hero fled the castle. Oh my god, there's this <laughs> read that read the article. The adventures write themselves. That's good stuff. Anyway, carry Second on. one is the King of Dungeons on Drive Through by Baz from What Would a Smart Party Do? I do. Where is that? Why is it not here? Let me load that up. Why isn't that show? Ah, Grand Scheme Publishing. Here we Dungeons. go. Okay. King of Dungeons. Um, that he. Wow, that is really not cool. Um, that he did. Well, it had to do with rival adventuring parties, and um, he said rival adventuring parties. I created a book based on it. Like, so this is an interesting. Um, the write-up's really cool. Go and check it out. 
on drive through if you're so inclined. Yeah, it looks yeah. cool. He's got some modifications. Very cool. So awesome. There you go. There you go, Baz. Uh, next one is Dragonlock and Ravenfell, the humble bum, bumble bumble. Some 2D, 3D <laughs> stuff you can print. Oh, Fat Dragon Games goodies. Kind of. Okay. Is it Fat Dragon? It says 2D and 3D printables from oh, it Fat, is Fat Dragon, Dragon. Games. Okay, yeah. Looking yeah. right at it. Fat Dragon. Fat, not Frat. Frat, frat Dragon. Fat, like Frat Boy. Yeah. <laughs> Party on, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, It's exactly. got the Dragonlock GM screen of doom. That's what you need, Brett. That's pretty freaking yeah. cool. That's not a bad I idea. Should, I should commission a BSer to print that thing. Although I never play because nice. I don't play in person. No, I don't know. <sighs> yeah, what are you gonna do? But go in there. Uh, it's up for a little while. I don't know when it ends, but uh, it helps out charity Extra Life Children's Miracle Network. So mm-hmm. there you go, and you get some cool stuff. And then lastly, I kind of pulled this out. I do not recall who put this in our Discord, but it's a. I was like, "What?" They're like, "Oh, Sean, you probably know that this exists," and I'm like, "Nope, I didn't." Uh, it's a Forbidden Lands session generator. Nice. Yeah, man. So you could just hit one of these buttons on this website and it'll do what it says and it ought to just refresh. So if I say new castle, I just hit the new castle button and it changes everything on the page. Very cool. Yeah, very great resource. And a great resource even if you don't play Forbidden Lands because some of this is like system agnostic. For example... If you look at Murdartox Treasure Vault and you read all of it, it tells you room, but all of it's just description. There's no mechanics involved, so you could use it for pretty much anything. One of my the the app no longer exists, or at least if it, I think it fell apart at some point. But it was on the Apple Apple Store for the longest time. It was a random name generator, and then encounters and rooms but it, it had these three four different functions i use it all the fucking yeah. time and you could just pick like you know give me gaelic sounding men's names give me this give me arabic this give me you know persian blah you grab all this cool stuff it was really fun just to thematically grab on the stuff i totally dig these types of things if nothing else just for inspiration because right. sometimes you're you're Looking at the the map in front of you, looking at the stuff you're trying to put together for the session, and your brain's just like, bang, you know, you're flatline creativity. You're like, I got nothing, and this is like a little defib kick to your creative brain. So good stuff. I mean, if awesome. I was playing play by post, here you go. Like, I'm just gonna hit a button and load this website, and I'll be good nice. to go. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so that's it for die roll for this week so i apologize for not putting that out who who put those links in the for forbidden lands generator but it's a great resource i'm gonna start using that thing very cool uh so bsrcon this weekend mm-hmm. we're not recording and then so two weeks from today we'll be recording again the next episode what are we gonna be talking about then brett we're going to be talking about, I've labeled this one, I want to believe. It's talking about um, verisimilitude. What do we need, want? What does it take for us to believe? Um, because we all want to we all want to believe in the game world and so on and so forth. So we're going to dig into that a little so bit. So it's our Disney episode. A I little bit. I want to believe. 
Only because it's only because I'm presenting the topic of probably be be a room full of dead babies or something. <laughs> so won't be as, won't be quite as Disney as can go. Fair. <laughs> Yikes. But anyway, All that's right. next. Sounds like fantastic. Which will be which I think as scheduled will be the thirty first. It'll be the eighth. Is that the eighth February? I don't know. I, I suck at calendar. Let's see that. here. So that is thirty first. It'll be the seventh February. Recording yes. here on YouTube Live. If you'd like to join us, thanks for everybody that did show up in the chat. Appreciate it. If you found some smidgen of value in this episode, give us a like if you would be so kind. We really appreciate it. Uh, otherwise, you can find this podcast at your the audio version at your podcatcher of choice. Uh, we really appreciate it. Otherwise, I think that's it. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming in BS produced with help from the following BSers. Joe Swick, Old School DM, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Chris Steele, Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs, Mark Tasaka, Marco Froelich, Pura Mongrel, Brett Pazinski, Brandon Barnes, Eileen Barnes, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mellencamp, Victor White, Craig Huber, Roger Brasslett, Stefan Dragonspawn, Jared Rasher, Fennelf, Ray Otis, Jim Fitzpatrick, Old Scoozer Roleplaying, Curtis Takahashi, Larry Hout, Ron Bishop, Mark Richmond, Chad Glayman, Craig, Howard Bishop, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Angus, Eric Salzweedle, George Sedgwick, Robert Nemeth, Brian Kurtz, Laramie Wall, Eric Avia, Andy Olson, Jeff Seifert, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Maurice, Niall Diamond, Aaron Relia, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Brian Rumble, Rich Wishon, David F. Balog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, HN, Colcago, Eric Tavola, Hus Carl, Yorkis, Rex, Ghost GM, Mike Hess Jr., Rory Weston, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Phil McClory, Adam Grotejohn, Jay Plata, Ed Nyes, The Duke in Purple, Isaiah Aries Christian, Larry Hollis, Craig Shipman, Todd Sharp, Orcus Dorcas, Chris Shorb, Michael O'Holland, Wayne Peacock, Mike Coleman, Miniature Master, Kevin Keneally, Zagrave, Vornak, Farty McButterpants, Andrew Lear, Craig Chunglo, Eric Lunsford, Ty Prunty, Feeling Good Lewis, Ziga Pradzik, Nick Westbrook, John Mahoney, Crystal Eggstead, Zalea, Todd, and Hypnocode. Thanks, BSers. This, this has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.